Hello, welcome to Friendly Anarchism. This is Catherine. I have here today with me, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, my name is Johnsy Turner. All right, and uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am from India. I was adopted. Um, about the age of five, I came to live with my family, who is amazing. They are my rocks and my guardian angels. And I've lived in New Mexico and Colorado and now here in Oregon. I've been here forever, it feels like. But yeah, and let's see, I, I've done a lot of different jobs. I worked with mentally ill adults for quite a few years, so that was very eye-opening and very humble work. And then I've been active in unions and just social justice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of social justice work to do. Right. Um, so why unions? Why unions? Mm -hmm. Because I believe in the power of the people. I believe in the power of the workers. They're doing the work. I believe that they have the right to be protected and make a, an adequate living off of it. And you know, since they're doing the work and they're on the front lines, they should have a say in how things are being run. Mm -hmm. you know, from my experiences, um, it was really hard because we would have the higher-ups try to tell us what's working and what not, what's not working when they weren't doing the work and engaging with the individuals that we were, we were supporting. And um, not only did staff suffer, but those that we were supporting suffered, and that was just not okay. What kind of work was that? Working with mentally and developmentally ill adults. Also, you were you unionized in um in that kind of situation. They were, they were already unionized when I got there, but I became the sublocal president, and I was a steward, and that was really tough work, because people that are in the care providing business, it's their heart to care for others. It's in their it's in our blood, and you don't necessarily see it as a job. You just see it as being there for people who are more vulnerable than you and you want the best for them, but also trying to maintain a balance for yourself, and that's really hard and really heartbreaking, so. It can be really hard, and also when something like that is a passion, and it seems like an identity, yes. that's exactly when people get taken advantage of oh, by sure. workers, you know, by, I mean, by bosses. Oh, for sure, and I saw it time and time again, being a steward and being in my role with the union, where um, they would, not directly say it, but indirectly say, well, don't you care about the individual? What about their livelihoods? And we have a lot of individual, a lot of workers who, um, you know, based on their experiences growing up, you know, this is a job and they will do anything to maintain this job without realizing that they also matter, that, you know, spending time with their family, having a safe workplace is really important. I feel like our standards of what it means to have a job are really low at the moment. Yes. You know, the idea that you can have time for yourself is sort of... It seems like it's a selfish um, selfish thought now, mm -hmm. that as a worker you actually have time for yourself. Like That's so selfish, that's so mean to the work or whatever. Yeah, it's like capitalism. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we're taught that we're only worth as much as we produce. Exactly. So then if you're not producing constantly, then you aren't worth as much. Right. So if you're saying, I don't want to 
produce, then you're saying, well, I don't care about the system. I don't care right. about the economy and all these things. You know, it's like right. it's it's this it's blown up For as sure. if you're you know. And I think in the human service field, it's even more so blown up because you're dealing with other people's lives. And so when you, if you try to set the boundaries and say, I need this time off, I'm not working, I need my two days off, then to have your boss or your employer come and say to you, well, don't you care about the individuals that you support, that you work with, what about their lives? And so it's kind of like putting yourself on the back burner and that happens a lot because you don't ever want to be that person that doesn't care about other people. Yeah. Right. Well, especially if you're the kind of person that goes into that work. Right. Exactly. You know? and those are the type of people that go into the work and that give give their all. And so, me and my friends that are in the same type of business, we would always joke that as a care provider, we're the first ones to give advice and say you need self care, you need to take care of yourself, take time off. But we need to listen to our own words because we're so bad at doing that. You know. Oh man, I feel that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, I I definitely that I've, I've been drawn to social service stuff before I did I was a paraeducator and like right. worked with um, autistic kids and adults and it was wonderful work but it's also it's like you don't notice how much of yourself you're giving mm-hmm. you know until it's like too late yes exactly <laughs> you know? until you're just completely burned out and you're just a wreck and you can't sleep and you're sick that's what I noticed a lot it's just constant sicknesses were happening because mm-hmm. of the stress and you just always say, oh, it's nothing, or, you know, you blame it on something else other than the soul of the problem where your employer is not appreciating you or mm-hmm. treating you well. So mm-hmm. that's why I really believe in unions. I believe that workers have the right to a voice and their working conditions. And, and to not feel bad about it. Yes, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. It's, you, it's so much easier to take advantage of people who feel disempowered. For sure. So, um, in the social services field, that often means women. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's probably a gender dynamic here also that's really important to talk about. Right. Yeah. I definitely. Well, and I think with the whole gender dynamics, it seems like it seems to, from my personal experiences that um, the bosses or the employers are the males, and then the frontline workers are females and so you have that dynamic and being talked down to or being mansplained on your own job you know, or being talked over so yeah how is that that you end up with people in charge who have don't have any idea what's going on that seems to happen a lot right that's would be a good research paper <laughs> I don't know it really does well and I think I think a lot of people um, that exceed or succeed to be in higher levels um, even if they started out on the front lines they somehow forgotten what it means to be a worker to be on the front lines to you know where, wherever whatever they have this um, disconnect all of a sudden I don't know if does money make, does that money bring it up does that power that they have in their head I don't know well I would say it's power I say that hierarchy is corruptive it is. So as as any hierarchy will make people less empathetic. They've done studies showing okay. that people actually literally when you have more power and more money at some point you become less and less empathetic. And that I saw an article talking about how they did studies on people who have 
lots of power for long periods of time, and their brains looked like they had brain damage. So it literally changes the brain waves. It literally changes your brain. Yeah. It, oh my and it, it's like literally damaging to have power over other people. That is crazy. Yeah. But that could that would make sense if you look at the administration nowadays. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I can say some certain person has probably brain damage. <laughs> I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> I think you're I think you're okay. okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're I'm pretty sure you're on the same page with a lot of people. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I think there's people that are more resilient to it, obviously, but overall, um, it can't be just a coincidence that it seems like everybody in charge is always ends up being... That's re- But that's really interesting. I would like to read that article and see really how they explain that. You know what I mean? Yeah. How they explain that brain damage happening? Because I would like to think if I was ever rich and in a position of power, I wouldn't be like that. I feel like we all like to think that, though. Of course. You know. But then it's like, does biology play against us? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't read like the nature, you know, the full um, science behind it. Yeah, but. It was an interesting art. It's like this thinking about it, it just seems like it carries through when you think about dynamics of between people. Whenever you have power imbalances, you always end up in a pretty nasty situation. You know? Right. And that's why we work so hard for democracy. Yeah. Know, so that you can flatten out that power structure so you don't end up with these power imbalances that are corruptive. Right. You know? Very true. <laughs> so, you said originally when we were going to talk that you wanted to talk about racism. Yes. So, being an Indian, I'm an immigrant because uh, I was adopted, right? Um, and we live in Eugene, which Eugene does not have much diversity. It really doesn't. Even mm-hmm. though we have a huge university here, it really lacks in the diversity area. Um, it's just interesting because I can't tell you how many times I've gotten mistaken for being African American black. Uh, I get mistaken for being Native American, Hispanic, Hawaiian, uh, just because I'm pretty dark, right? And to be treated differently because of my skin tone is really, it's hurtful and I'm pissed off by it. I'm just, I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off with white privilege. I'm pissed off with racism. And it's, it's a, like I talk to my friends of color and it's hard to navigate these spaces without just letting the anger take over. Because of course I don't want to, I don't want to be angry, but I am. But then if I, if I feel, I feel like if I do become angry outwardly, I'm just going to be stereotyped as there's a, you know another hot-headed co- woman of color she's oversensitive you know and I don't know it's really frustrating it's really hard to go to the store and be followed by clerks and be treated like a terrorist because I'm from India so I kind of look Middle Eastern to some people being talked down to and being told, oh, well, you're Indian, you know, why aren't you quiet and docile? 
like why would I be I'm a human being you know and I remember like me and my friend my best friend she's half Indian and uh, this was a couple years ago but whenever we drove together it never failed we always got pulled over because I was mistaken for being black and she was mistaken for being Mexican a lot of people thought she was it looks like it excuse me and <clears throat> I remember one time we were driving and I was at a light to take a left-hand turn and I couldn't go because the traffic was coming straight. And this car behind me, this dude who was a white dude, got really pissed off that I wasn't turning even though it would have been dangerous and I would have gotten hit. So he whips around me into the straight lane and then takes a left right in the intersection. And there was a cop sitting on the net at the other side. And I, of course, me and my friend were like, oh, he's going to get pulled over. Oh, buddy boy, bad, bad. So, no, the cop doesn't pull him over. He pulls me over. Yeah. And he proceeds to question us, question me and her about why, like, why we're here in Eugene, uh, where we're from. Yeah. The reason, like, and then my dad's name is on my registration, who he is. Why do I have this car with his name on it? He gets her information. He calls back up. Yeah. And we're just like, we don't, what are you doing? I mean, it was blatant profiling. And at that time, I was much younger. So I was, you know, pretty scared. I was angry, but I was scared. And so just situations like that. It's, you know, dealing with being targeted or being treated like, we're gonna hurt somebody or do something bad. It's, it's wearing, it's so tiring, and we have to pick our battles, and sometimes you just don't wanna fight anymore, you know? But we won't stop, we, none of us can stop. Yeah, yeah, Eugene and uh, Oregon have has a very, very racist, white supremacist past. Yes. And I've heard that U of Oregon, U University of Oregon can't keep professors of color because they move to Eugene for the university and then have such a hard time. Right. Like this is such a racist place that they end up leaving. Right. Well, and I heard university, the University of Oregon was recruiting a lot of uh, people of color from Portland. And I've seen a little bit more African Americans in Eugene, but nothing like it should be. You know, we should have a I think we should be very diversified, personally, but, mm -hmm. you know. Makes for a better society. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then just to hear about all the hate writing that you're finding around Eugene, and so disgusting. Mm -hmm. so. But I think racism is very, is deeply rooted in a lot of people. And I think it's a tactic that corporations use, too. Yeah. Right? To divide people, to divide workers. Yeah. How do, have you seen that specifically? I haven't, but I've heard stories from right. other workers. You know, where they'll, like, they blame the Mexicans for taking all their jobs. Right? It's like, well, why? Is, is that the case? No. And who's throwing you that rhetoric? Right? Because mm -hmm. it's easier to control small groups of people separate, that are separated. Than if rather rather than we were to come together and be united in solidarity, mm -hmm. right? Is there do you see solidarity between um, different races in in uh, in Eugene or people of color? 
No, Eugene is so small. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of people of color. <laughs> right? I mean, I I don't, but it's probably out there. I just probably haven't seen it. Hmm. You know? I don't know. Have you? Um, no, I guess. I don't know. I think it's happening more up in Portland where there's more diversity. I think I've seen it just like in sports, in the sports teams oh, in well, yeah. Oregon. Yeah, well, sports is like a whole, seems like to be a whole different entity <laughs> in the rest of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Is there anything specific intersectionally about a, being a woman of color that you think is a uh, sort of different? Um, I think that as a woman of color, I think it's harder to be heard and listened to and taken seriously. I feel that the stigma of being an angry colored woman really gets thrown out a lot. Um, yeah. Is there any specific instances that you feel okay sharing? I just seem, I feel like I've just had so many, they all combined into one where people, you know, like fighting for work. Like when I was working at my other job, um, fighting for my members when I was their steward and being treated like, okay, you're just being angry, you're just being, you know, sensitive and and not being really, or and I would get called, oh, you're just acting like a thug a lot, you know? Like a thug? Like a thug, you know? And I'm just like, why? Because I'm colored? What does that mean? You're so sweet. <laughs> I can be, I can be really angry and... <laughs> oh, I'm sure, I just, like, right? I, the word thug is such an interesting thing, it's one of those, like, racist dog whistles right which is like because like the word I mean I mean like you're so sweet (coughs) but like also just like you know like it seems so weird to me for someone to see like it just I just I just can't understand those two things I get called that a lot I think just based off my skin tone and then when I get angry or I'm standing up for myself or others I think people for other people it's like oh you're just being thuggish you're just being a thug it's like no why can't I stand up and fight and say what I want to like say what I have to say why do I have to be categorized or you know named as a thug or an over overly sensitive woman or an angry colored woman you know yeah I kind of want to go back to what I just said about calling you sweet because when Mm -hmm. I said that and I'm thinking about like being a woman I've worked in definitely masculine very very male dominated fields Uh and that actually is one of the other directions that it can go is like being sort of infantilized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've gotten that too, right? Yeah. And be like, oh, you can do nothing wrong. Oh, you're so cute. And, you know, it's like, no. I'm a human being. I'm a woman. I'm smart. You know, I have a lot to give. I'm caring. I'm compassionate. But mm-hmm. but sometimes I feel like sometimes I could, you, you use that too. I know, I was about right? to say, like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, that's the thing, is sometimes you just need to get shit done. Right? So if, like, if that's the tool that then, needs to be used to get shit done, and it feels, it feels gross, but it's also, like, I don't know, diversity of tactics. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for this shit, like, if I just, like, act, act sweet for a second, maybe you'll get what I need so I can move on right? with my life. But I think that's, it's a survival mechanism that we've had to learn to use. Yeah. Right? It, to, like, what's that, what is that they say, to... That Star Wars, Star Trek, assimilate. Oh, you assimilate. Do, like, assimilate, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think, especially when you're around predominantly males, 
I feel like. I have to act more sweet or more cute. Well, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at um, feeling that out because mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to like lay down the law mm-hmm. to like be respected immediately, but sometimes that'll get like a huge backlash. Yes. Yes. So sometimes you have to like do the other thing. I think it's a hard walk that we have to walk. It Figuring is a hard that walk. out like if you piss them off, then they're going to shut you down and cut you off, and then you have, you know, they're going to be assholes. And, but then you don't want to be sweet because, no. And you don't get respected. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It can be really hard to navigate those waters. Because it's sure. like, I'd rather, I'd rather sort of like mess with how I'm presenting myself than deal with backlash. Yes. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Fight the easier of the two fights. Yeah, exactly. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, I guess why do we still have to be like that? Like why? I don't like. I don't like. I don't like. It. I don't think a lot of women like it, or even men, if they feel like they have to be that way. Yeah. You know, it's just. No. We still got a lot to long way to go. You <laughs> <laughs> know, long way to go. <laughs> I don't know. Guys have, if you mean male fragility, is a thing. Yeah, you know, so I mean, the idea of like what we're talking about right now is how to manage men's egos mm-hmm. because you don't want to hurt a guy's ego. Yeah. So like some guys' ego, you need to like stroke their ego, mm-hmm. and then some guys like want to. I don't know. Like it's just like a difficult thing because like you hurt a guy even like a little bit, you touch his ego, and it can just like shut the whole thing down just right. just like okay now nothing's gonna get done <laughs> right. uh, no. sometimes I just want to be like cry me a river honestly <laughs> that's my jadedness coming in <laughs> it's like yeah okay get, let's, let's move right. on first world problem <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah and well speaking of first world problems that's another big thing of mine. I feel like our na- the nation, the USA, we have a lot of first world problems. You know what I mean? And I think this is like being coming from India on the streets in severe poverty. I think I'm in a very unique situation where I can see the differences. And trust me, I have my first world problems every day. And they feel like <laughs> the end of the world. But I feel okay with that because I feel like I can see it and I, I can understand it like this is a first world problem my cell phone's not working first world problem it's a <laughs> it's an annoyance it sucks if I can say sucks um well, I've already been swearing okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're good um but then I think about well I have at least I have water I have a roof over my head I have food I have health care even though that's you know right now Mm-hmm. With healthcare, it's scary. Um, but trying to explain that to some other people seems it gets hard, you know. And I'm not trying to minimize other people's um, struggles and their experiences, but I feel like with all this materialistic stuff, we get more far removed from our humanity. Yeah, I agree. And then it's so stratified. And stratified in America too is that there actually are a lot of Americans living in third world conditions 
you know, people don't have food or water or mm-hmm. housing or healthcare or anything. You know, we've got like severe poverty. It's just, it's very well hidden. And then it's also like, I was talking to one person a while ago saying everybody in America is middle class and no one is middle class. Like we all think that we're middle class, but then in reality there like really isn't a middle class. You've got people who are like very well off and then people who are not well off at all and like our standards of what we consider well off as middle class people who are not actually on the top is actually like a pretty low bar comparatively, especially compared to other world one first world countries. For, uh, compared to other first world countries, right. yes. And I guess I'm t- speaking of like third world countries, mm-hmm. right? And I know I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, I just, I don't know. So it bothers me sometimes. Yeah. It, bothers, it really does. Yeah. It's, it's cool that you have that um, perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's just what helps me to keep working for other people the vulnerable, marginalized populations so that they can have a quality of life. I strongly believe in that. And for animals, you know, of course. <laughs> the environment. I love animals, but, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just... So very interesting. So very chaotic and messy out there. It's kind of scary. It's actually really scary. There's a lot of fear. There's definitely a lot of fear. I mean, I always joke, like, I'm waiting for the zombie apocalypse, um, which I really am not, but I'm waiting, like, we can't continue to be sustainable, we can't continue going down this road as a planet, as a nation, as a community, you know, and that's scary if you think about it, like, I hope to have children someday, and I hope my children have a planet to live on, you know, but I think at the same time, if we continue doing what we're doing, we're going to be the end of our demise. Wait, is that right? We're going to be the demise of our end. <laughs> I, 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 our, our own demise? Yes. Right. Yeah, the zombie apocalypse thing is a pretty good joke, unless it's like starting to feel kind of real. Right. And then it be like, darn, bad joke. <laughs> yeah. I heard uh, zombie apocalypse, um, you know, as an anarchist, it can be, people get scared of the anarchy anarchist thing and scared of anarchists and dressed all in black and scary and all these things. I was talking to a woman who uh, is just like a liberal kind of middle class white lady Mm -hmm. and she was saying, you know, um, anarchists kind of scare me, but I wouldn't mind having them on my zombie apocalypse team. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, well, there you go. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean... Seriously, if you think about all these crazy viruses that are being um, immune to antibiotics, mm-hmm. and a zombie apocalypse probably could happen. Yeah. I watch way too much TV. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, there is sort of, I think it's, it's seeping up through our consciousness, like a lot of the crazy, like apocalyptic things that could very easily be on the horizon. It's like starting to really sort of sink in for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's like a very, very strange place right. to to be culturally. Yeah. You know. For sure. I mean, ten, tenuous, but also um, in times of great upheaval, there's also the potential for um, great new things. So there is that if we can survive. Five. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then that, so you just brought up the word culture. Um, in my opinion, I don't believe America has culture. I well, because we're so new. Our country is so, so new. We're babies, right? And that really, it bothers me. I like culture. You know that I always fantasize about going to other countries because they have like rich cultures. Like India has a really rich culture, and it makes me really sad that we don't have that. Maybe that would help us if we could wrap ourselves around a culture or cultures. Or, but do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like where we lack in culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, the Native Americans have their culture, but they're not. They're not being um, regard like highly regarded. They're being oppressed. The Native Americans, which is horrible. They have a very beautiful culture, and I think that can help out a lot. I um, did some studying on Syria, and specifically the housing, the way that the urban, the old urban, old cities were built and structured, mm-hmm. and they're fascinating and they're beautiful. They're just these sort of webs where everybody kind of could like go through the different courtyards a lot of times, and like you had to really know where you were, and like the community was so um, embedded within each other, right? you know, and then they had the beautiful mosque, which was like the central community space that everyone went to but in the culture you know the with Islam having the prayer at the same time every day everybody just like imagine that sounds kind of cool or just oh, like yeah. everybody in your community at the same time just like stops and does the same thing for right? a second and like then you're like recenter and you're all on the same page and I'm like reading all about this culture being like man we are really lacking something right we're lacking like there's that a, connection, that's a connection you know right it's like a really deep connection well and also uh, like America is so focused on individualism and a lot of other cultures especially like in the Indian culture it's about family and I hold that very close to my heart like my family I'm so close to my family I would not be here without them Um, but if we could even be more family oriented I feel like that could help you know because they always say it takes a village to raise a child but you just need family where we are creatures that aren't meant to be isolated and by ourselves. Yeah. I think the problem though is the nuclear family. So people are like, everyone talks about family values, but they're talking about like very sort of sh- shut off, isolated nuclear families that like live alone in their big house away from community. Oh, so yeah, like, no, we no. say we have family values, but, but that's, that's not just what like, I mean. yeah, 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 exactly. But it's not like, it's like that doesn't translate into like family being. The community yeah or even your extended family you know because um, it's just like oh mom and dad are old take them to the nursing home it's like no take care of mom and dad be there with them um, let them like they can take care of the grandkids if you have decide to have grandkids you know yeah there's old old people and little kids are like the perfect match because little yes. kids want stories all the time and old people just want to tell stories all the time. Right, right. And they both take naps. So yeah. they take naps together. <laughs> and they like mushy food. Right? They're just like a great, great pairing. I mean, a lot of people in, I think, our generation and younger are, are really trying to reclaim that. And the multi-generational, multi-generational households are becoming more normal again. A lot of it just because people can't, like millennials can't afford right. to buy houses and stuff, but that has meant that um, a lot of us are moving back in with our parents. Right. And that scene is like, 
especially to boomers and older people, it's seen as like a failure. Like mm -hmm. you have failed in life if you haven't been able to do this. Oh, you live in your mom's basement, blah, 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 blah. But right. we have, we are, we do now have sort of a more intergenerational yeah, that's good. Um, system going on. And like, I don't know, there's, there's upsides to that, you know, and then we're also, because the same thing sort of because of pushed by economics, yes. um, all moving into communal houses together too. So like instead of having our own like families and individual houses, you know, there's like, six people sharing one bigger house, you know, so it's interesting how sort of like naturally organically sort of recreating some of those systems um, just driven by economics. Right. Or maybe not just driven by economics, because I think people also choose are choosing that even if it's not. I think a lot of it's driven by economics because they can't afford yeah. to have their own house. Yeah. So it's like a blessed in disguise, a blessing in disguise. Although now, maybe it was, I think now though it's becoming more of a desire, desired situation too. Right. You know. Hopefully. Hopefully. It's interesting. It is. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My brain is going blank. I don't well we're having a good discussion. Do you, um let's see. Um <laughs> let's see, we talked about we could go back to I know you have more things to talk about. I know I do too. <laughs> Just trying to figure it all out. Um How long were you in India before was, you got adopted? I was, it was almost five years. So you were like five years old? Yeah. So do you remember it? I remember bits and pieces. It was very traumatic. And so, of course, when you have trauma, your brain uh, naturally blocks a lot of it to protect you. Mm -hmm. But I've done EMDR. Oh, yeah. Do not ask me what that stands for. Something, something, rapid eye movement, something. something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the whole scientific acronym. Um you know what EMDR is? They like, they like move your eyes around, like you yeah. look at different things in it or something? Yeah, um, so what it does, it's supposed to, like, usually uh, the therapist would have you follow her fingers with your eyes back mm -hmm. and forth, because that back and forth of the right and left stimulation of your brain is supposed to help release like, subconscious memories. Hmm. And um, by doing that too, while you're working out a trauma, it helps to rewire your brain. So let's say I, I have PTSD, so let's say that um, loud noises, for example, triggered me. Uh, so, so they would work, you, you would work through that. And this, I'm just explaining it very basically. <laughs> um, I was explained to me that that would help rewire your brain so then you could, when that happened again, you would be calmer. Am I making any sense? Yeah. And so it wasn't. It wouldn't trigger you into the bad, negative place. You would learn to react and react to it more positively or more calmly. And so um, I don't remember much. I did get bit by a monkey at the orphanage. <laughs> ah. I have the monkey bite right ah, there. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> that must have bit you hard. You still have that? Yeah. It was an aggressive little monkey. <laughs> I just wanted to pet the monkey. <laughs> Right? 
Seems fair. Right? Seems like that monkey overreacted. You're right, but how many people can you say you've met that have been, been bit by a monkey and survived it? I think probably just the one, unless people may feel ashamed they don't talk Why? about it. Why? Don't be ashamed. <laughs> be proud. <laughs> so, yeah. So. It's interesting, that connection between body and mind. It really is. And there seems to be coming out more and more research to uh, back that up just how powerful it is and yeah I think that's another thing that we've become disconnected from each other and we've become disconnected from our bodies yes like our culture we don't dance right you know we don't and I've noticed that with myself recently just this big disconnect disconnect and I'm working really hard to try to connect my mind and my body I feel like I'm more up in my head and I don't like it you know yeah I guess when I say we don't dance you know, certain culturally, culturally like yeah. as an as, as an American, American, there's no like American. Right. There's different subcultures that. For sure, for sure. I see what you. I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, but you're absolutely right, and. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to go back to India. I think I'm going to go back in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm finally ready. Uh, we don't know where exactly I'm from. You know, we know that where the orphanage was so hopefully we can try to go back and ask around by word of mouth like do you remember me oh really well yeah because i you know i want to try to find out about my mom she passed away a month after i was adopted um and i don't remember anything of her i have nothing of her except for me mm-hmm. which doesn't count for much in my opinion no Aww. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's gonna be traumatic but very humbling and very part of my healing process, you know. Mm-hmm. Has been um, being an immigrant. I mean, it's sort of a rough time to be an immigrant. Well, I'm really blessed because my parents are Caucasian. They're white, and I I I see this. I I know this that um, being an immigrant. I mean, when it's just me out there, I get treated completely differently than when my parents come to, you know, come with me. Mm. I remember when I first moved to Oregon and I was getting my driver's license, I was being treated like I was a terrorist. Like, they didn't want to give me my driver's license. Wow. Yeah, and my mama was with me. Oh, she was furious. (laughs) She was so mad, right? But I just noticed, like, if I go get a car and it's just me, the interaction's very... I don't know how to describe it. It's you can tell that there's something there. But then when my dad shows up or my mom shows up, all of a sudden they see me. Does that make sense? Huh. And all of a sudden, like I know, like they can laugh with my at my jokes, or I'm actually a human being. And so, I completely understand how blessed I am to have Caucasian parents. But that doesn't mean that's okay. Right. It should be regardless. Like. If I yeah. have Caucasian parents or Indian parents or African American parents, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are there been difficulties growing up with white parents? Is there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Identity issues mm-hmm. growing up, and especially. Oh, don't get me started on the media, but the media does a horrible job of representing a lot of other diversity, diverse cultures and people. It's getting a little bit better, but growing up. I never saw Indians in the media, and it was really painful because a South Indian woman 
he has a very different body than a European Caucasian woman. And my whole family is white. And my, the whole, when I grew, where I grew up, it was predominantly white. And so I just thought I was weird and I felt ugly and just because I didn't look like anybody and you know, my skin would get ashy if I got dry, but nobody else's would. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, just things like that. And so it was really hard. I, there are sometimes I've heard this like physical issues just like a white parents not knowing how to take care of their black children's hair, right. that kind of thing. Right. Well, and Indians, we have, we don't have that. <laughs> um, my parents were really amazing because they would cook Indian food. We played Indian music. They would get me Indian saris to wear and go to Indian like go to the museum when they had the Indian festivals or whatnot. So they were very inclusive like that, and which I appreciate so much. I think what I remember one part thing is when I started wearing makeup. Um, my mom, she's like, honey. If when you start wearing makeup, we're going to go to the store and they're going to uh, put makeup on you so it matches your skin tone because I know nothing about that. And so my parents were very aware of all that and they did their very best. And so, yeah. 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 It is a dynamic that isn't explored in popular culture very much. What do you mean? Um, having a, a like white family having children of color, right? Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And it should because there's, it's part of America, you know? There's so many families out there that have adopted children from other nations and, um, or even extended fam mixed families, you know? Mm -hmm. It really needs to be portrayed. And I think we're slowly getting there with uh, ads that show more fuller women or more diverse women or men, you know. Um, I know dating was really hard because I always grew up, I'm like, I, th I think I'm supposed to date an Indian. I'm supposed to date an Indian. There were no Indians around. And I remember all my friends being like, well, what are you going to date? You can't date a white per white guy. Or really? It's like, and I thought I couldn't for the longest time because wow. I never saw that in the media. I never saw that around me. And so it was very uncomfortable mm -hmm. during those uh, high school years, so I didn't date because I'm like everybody's white. I don't know if this is okay. Mm, wow. And I remember, I think I was 15 when I saw my first interracial couple on TV, and that made me so happy. I was like, oh my god, it, you can do that, you know? Yeah. Oh. Representation matters. For sure, you know, and it just it just helps to make you feel like you're not so alone and isolated, or something's wrong with you, mm -hmm. you know? That's so painful to feel just like just something's wrong with you. Right. Like that's that there's so much depth of yeah. yeah. And of course, my my family was amazing. They're so strong. They're like, there's nothing wrong with you, honey. <laughs> yeah, you tell that to like a 60 year old and see how far do you get with that. <laughs> yeah. When it's when it's cultural bias, when it's systemic bias, right? You know, so it's like an individual can say, "Well, no, you're fine, you're good." Mm -hmm. But then when it's that, sounds can seem like a drop in the bucket, right? right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, and then don't get me started about jeans. 
Jeans. Yeah. Isn't it funny how women's bodies go in and out of style? That and jeans are made for Caucasian European women. Are they? Yes. I hate jeans. But jeans are so popular and that's what's around. Trying to find jeans that fit, the more curvy. And like I have really high I have really high hips and a high waist as part of the southern Indian culture body type. So I hate jeans <laughs> so much. <laughs> you know, and my mom explained, she's like, honey, that's just your body type. And I'm just like, I don't want my body anymore then. Mm. I mean, that's horrible, right? Yeah. And so it's not just the media. It's like makeup or it's clothes to fit different types of people, different types of bodies. Mm-hmm. We're really slow behind that. On yeah. That, so. Yeah. I feel like I'm tired just talking about it. This is hard, hard stuff. Yeah, well, I got through it all. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes, you know, it made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. So, and I think if I can, I think it puts me in a really good place where I can be empathetic and compassionate with other people mm-hmm. and their struggles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be a good care provider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you still work in that? No, uh-uh. Not anymore. I definitely got burned out. And not from the individuals I supported, but from my employer. From the employer. Which yeah. is horrible. Like, why would you want to burn out your workers so bad? Because you want stability and consistency for the individuals that you support. So why are you trying to do everything you can to drive away the workers? Yeah, it's just treating people and workers like they're expendable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just like the rest of, you know, paper towels and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just like we just use it once and throw it away, treating right. people the same way. Right. It's a totally unsustainable model, just as like environmentally that's unsustainable, just like labor and economically that's unsustainable. And then you build these relationships with these individuals, and that's not easy. They have their own traumas and trust. And so you build these relationships and all of a sudden people are torn out of their lives. Like how, what kind of quality of life is that? Yeah. It's not okay. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. I felt that um, being a nanny, Mm -hmm. where it's like you get so close to these kids. Right. You know, but then whatever reason, you know, that's. That's a weird thing about living in um, doing that kind of service work, mm-hmm. human human services. Uh, it is a very interesting field, and I think it doesn't fit very well into a capitalist model. No, Mm-mm. you know, it's it's some it's one of those things that just doesn't make sense to think of in terms of profit or expenses or all these things. Like it, it's just not. It just doesn't make sense in that context. No, it doesn't. It you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you're dealing with human lives and think of how complex that is it's not so simple down to like numbers and statistics well it could be but you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's very complex very can be very messy um, very on lots of different levels and so. yeah yeah it's sort of like the emotional labor involved there's a I remember, it's like when, if my, the individuals I supported, if they hurt, I hurt, you know, 
and you can't help it. You want the best for these people that you support, whether it's children, the elderly, um, developmentally, mentally disabled adults, children that are disabled, because we're all humans. We That's best for each other. Well, most of us want the best for each other. <laughs> Some of us, most of us, yeah. <laughs> Um, and emotional labor is another one of those things that's totally devalued because capitalism doesn't see its worth, mm-hmm. you know, or or maybe does see its worth but can get away with yeah get away with just exploiting it. Right. Well, I think I think a lot of people in the community also don't always understand what it means to be a care provider, just like the toll it takes, what you do day in and day out for another individual. Um, I've heard people say, oh, well, it takes such a special person to do that. And I'm like, I don't know if I can agree with that. I, I think it, I don't know. I've gone back and forth on that. If you have to be, well, I, it's, it's one of those things where I think as an empathetic person, it's like, how can you not be empathetic? But in the scene, right. look around, it's like, I guess there are people that are just totally not empathetic. They just don't. Yeah, maybe that's just... That just, it's hard to wrap my brain around that. Like, how can you not be empathetic? I don't know. <laughs> I just so get crazy. It. Yeah. And then me, I'm going to be like, well, then they're really just sick in the head. I know, it's like, it's right. like if you look around at all of the, like, violence and right. all these things, it's like, well, I guess people must just be assholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with the violence, I could see it being, like, a factor of their environment. And yeah. You know, their upbringing, or just not feeling like they don't have a chance in the system. Yeah. Yeah. The trauma. Like, the entire entire system is built, is so traumatic to exist in this sort of, like, oppressive, capitalist, hierarchical, authoritarian system is just, it's just, like, trauma is built into it, Mm -hmm. and that just sort of always ripples out into all sorts of different, even what should be expected, but unexpected ways. Yeah, that's true. You know? So it's like everybody in, in society is walking around full of trauma. Like, how are we getting anything done? It's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know? Well, then I would just, I would just think that if we all have this, the trauma, wouldn't we want to be more compassionate to each other? Yeah. You know, when you see somebody that has fallen down, wouldn't you want to help them up? Like somebody trips and falls flat on their face. I mean, instead of just sitting there laughing, wouldn't you want to walk over there? And, like you're okay. It's really a protective thing. Yeah. Like we're talking about the self care, the giving is like it takes a toll. So I think at a point, if it's like you feel like you're giving all the time, people just become just like cold and That's shut true. off and protective. You know, protective of their own. So it's like it, it's like it's the sort of false scarcity thing again. A dump truck. Okay. <laughs> um, it's just like there's just not enough love to go around. You have to like save it for yourself. That's yeah. I could. I guess I could see that. Or something. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> people are mean. People are. People are. Par- people are parasites. We're like <laughs> sucking everything out of this world. And oh, it's true. It is. I, Somebody once mentioned that to me. I'm like, oh my god, we are parasites. But I think it's really, I don't think it's everybody. I think there's just like, I think there's just like a handful of sociopaths that have been able to take control and everybody else is just trapped 
in this system. Like we, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I think lots of people see how messed up everything is. We literally like, just like feel like, or just can't do anything about it. Like we wouldn't be living this way and we wouldn't be this like horrible to each other and this horrible to the planet if it was of our own volition, you You know? I think so. Maybe is that too optimistic? It's kind of optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) I like that that's you're optimistic. That's good. (laughs) It's part of being an anarchist. Is it? Yeah, it's the idea that like really, the people are at their core good, and if we lived with outside of these oppressive systems, if we lived in, um, if we all actually were able to claim and have our own personal power and have direct, um, a direct ability to control our own lives through direct democracy and live in community and have all those supports, then things really would work because people are basically good. So, I like that. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's nice. It is nice. i got to remember to be more optimistic. <laughs> you know? But I think it, it is, I find, my, I find it being harder and harder with everything, that, everything that's happening. Yeah. You know? It it's just, just so scary, and it's so... It seems like things are getting worse, you know? Yeah, it really does. Instead of better. Yep. Are you, um, are you a person of faith at all? No. I mean, I've struggled with that. Um, I am not Christian. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I believe there's something... I believe in some, and I believe like in energy. I believe we all have energies, and like oh, the people who have different auras. Um, I believe there's a connection that we have, like with the planet and the animals, and um, the universe. But I can never, I can't put a name on it. I don't know if it's God or Buddha, you know. So. I don't know what that you would call that. Spiritual? I don't know. I'm definitely not, I don't belong to any religion because I refuse to have a group of people decide how I should live my life. <laughs> yeah, they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, in Quakers, we call it the source. The source, I like mm-hmm. that. And then people will also put whatever other name they want right? on it. I mean, I really, I love reading about religions and about different, um, like, paganism and all that. I love reading all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. I think I like to pick and choose little bits and pieces and formulate my own spiritual self. I mean, that's kind of a fun thing about American culture, not non-culture, is that people kind of just pitch-potch all their different sorts of things together, and you can end up with some really interesting people and really interesting... Right. Things well, and ideas, you know? Right. I like the flying spaghetti monsters. Oh, yeah. The pastafarians. Yes. I like, <laughs> I like them. <laughs> Very, yeah. I can get down with that. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I can't remember. They have all sorts of funny things they say right? about it, but I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do anarchists believe? Um, generally, uh, anarchists are generally atheists. One of the main... Um, Quotes that is dictum is no gods, no masters. Okay. Because the idea of being the same with the hierarchies that institutionalized right. religion and government and all these things, it's these people trying to tell you 
what to do and what to believe and how to move through the world. Right, yeah, that's right, why so. I don't like religions, because I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that um, it's obviously more complicated than that also, because right, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's libertarian, so then everybody, the idea is like, well, we're not going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. But generally, there's, it's, it's a pushback against institutionalized religion. Although I've had, it's really interesting for me to go back and read anarchist theory and stuff. There does seem to be a soft spot for Jesus who I think really? was a real radical, yeah, just now and then. There's also possibly that it's just like, for instance, at Alexander Berkman, that trying to use language of the, you know, the people of the commoner to like make connections. So yeah, he, yeah. he might not actually have given a shit about right. Jesus, but it was like a way to like connect in with different people's ideas and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, I, there's lots of different types of anarchists. So, yeah, but yeah, no gods and masters is a is a thing. I like it. Mm-hmm. Makes good sense. I don't know. Religion is so interesting, but so complicated, and so I feel like it could get messy too. Oh yeah, pretty messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, really complicated. But I understand why people need religion. You know, I understand mm-hmm. it on an anthropological level. Like, yeah, they just need a lot of people. I think use it to find meaning in their lives or help them direct a certain path. I just don't like. With Christianity, I'm going to bring up Christianity again because we're in a society where Christianity is very strong and prominent. Mm -hmm. It really just bothers me how they look down on other uh, religions and like you're going to go to hell or Mm. other people. Like if you're gay, you're going to go to hell or, you know, I'm just like, no, that is really just hateful and we we don't need any more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And the I mean the far right uses the excuse of God and Christianity all the time. Yeah, they like you just see people say like Bible horrible, their... horrible things because of God or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. I don't even know. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's like they just get to like take the word and like put a stamp on whatever hateful, horrible thing they want to say, right. and then therefore it's legitimized by society. It's this like mm-hmm. super easy way to legitimize anything that they want to say. Right, or they can they can read and interpret a certain scripture the way they want it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just like. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> That's what I say to them. Ah, oh, stop. Stop. So. I like that. I wish it was that easy. Right? Just like, go, Shnazi. Just like, stop. Just stop. <laughs> oh, goodness. If, if only. If only. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we're at 58 minutes. Is there anything you want to talk about that we have missed? No, I'll probably think about it all later. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> um, well, shoot. That was great. I'm so glad to talk to you and get to know you better. Yeah, you know, we've been like you. kind of working together and like this was really nice. Thank you for yeah. giving me this opportunity. Yeah. Thanks for taking it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, this was Catherine. Thanks for listening in. See you next week.